Amen. Well, it is good to be back in the Lord's house. I am, uh, as you can tell, my customary voice is not all here, which is partly why I invited Marcus to please rescue me from the announcements. And uh, so we'll let the voice last at least through a sermon, right? Thank God I have one service to preach here. But uh, maybe not for long, right? If you keep inviting all your friends and we fill up the parking lot. But it is really, really good to be here in the Lord's house today. Uh, I am, I'm very excited about this series. I've loved preaching through the concept of the Advent. Uh, we don't, uh, I, I don't come from a tradition in church that included the Advent in its Christmas celebration. And so uh, that's been new to me over recent years. And I think it's been new to quite a few people. So it's, it's uh, been really good to, to go through what is this really talking about? What are we trying to say when we talk about hope and peace and joy and love and then the, the center candle, the light of Christ? It's a great way to help build our sense of anticipation as we come to Christmas. We're going to be in John chapter 15 today. I wanted to give you two things to think about while you're getting there. I know Pastor Marcus already gave the announcements. For spiritual formation here in Hampton, there is going to be a class in January all of the rest of them are starting the 11th. Our class is starting on the 4th because it's a five-week class and we want to finish before small group season. Uh, it's going to be taught by uh, Sean and Chuck Cooper, and it's going to be on how to study the Bible. It'll be held right here, I think, here in the auditorium, but we'll give you more information as we get closer. 6.30 every Wednesday night, beginning on the 4th of January. I know that is coming right out of the, of the uh, Christmas uh, season. And, uh, but hopefully you'll be uh, well rested by then after if you still stay up half the night waiting for the ball to drop. I have discovered that if I go to bed at 9 o'clock, the new year still comes in faithfully, so I don't worry about it. But uh, uh, at any rate, uh, that's going to be a really good thing. And then our Christmas Eve service. I want you to remember, be inviting people. I saw something. In fact, I, I put it on our coastal group. Uh, this week, 86% of people come to church the first time because somebody invited them. So invite your friends, bring them along. We have those little cards. You can grab one of those, take one of the books on the four emotions of Christmas <clears throat> and give them an opportunity uh, to come and be part of our Christmas Eve service. It's going to be a great time. What kind of things bring you joy? That's a question I want to begin with today. What kind of things bring you joy. This reminds me putting my cough drop in my mouth, by the way, of a story I once heard about a preacher. That's how he timed how long he was going to preach. He'd put a pop a piece of candy in his mouth at the beginning of the service, which was all well and good until one day he reached in his pocket and inadvertently pulled out a button. <laughs> and uh, that was a long sermon. But at any rate, what, <laughs> what brings you joy? What are the kind of things, if I ask you that question, that would begin to come to your mind? Does it related to your, your home, maybe physically your house or your, your spouse, your kids, your career, maybe your view of the future, maybe even some recent financial blessing that you've enjoyed? Whatever it is, what, is, what are the things that bring you joy? We talk about that a lot. And it's interesting to me that most of the things that we find to bring us joy can quickly be erased. Now, I know that's depressing, and this is supposed to be Christmas, but here's what I've discovered. People don't always live up to the expectations that are 
put on them at Christmas time, right? We know we're supposed to be joyful, but we aren't always. And sometimes that's because something happened to the house, something broke down, something fell apart on the, the house or, or whatever. Um, your, your spouse could get sick, your kids could be taken, you can lose your job, your financial situation can go south with the next market downturn, right? Your idea of your future could change dramatically with the next election or the test results you got from your doctor, which I realize is totally depressing, but I want you to think about what emotion comes to your mind when I start mentioning those kind of things. There may be a few of them, but I suspect among them is fear. When the things that we have our joy placed in are taken from us, not uncommonly, we're facing fear. Now what? Now what do I do? I don't know that I'm ready to say fear is the opposite of joy, but those shepherds, what was happening? They were in the midst of this incredible experience, right? They're out on the hillside doing their thing with the same old sheep on that same old hillside that they've been on night after night after night, maybe for years. And all of a sudden, an angel shows up and starts talking to them. Now, I don't know about you, but I haven't had that happen. And that would be pretty intimidating. And then a whole choir of them shows up and starts singing. What does the scripture say about them? They were terrified. I think we would be too. That is completely out of the blue. All of a sudden, angels show up and start singing. Now, what they're singing is wonderful, and the news that they bring is ultimately going to be one of great joy. But in that instant, they were filled with great fear. How do we rearrange that? I think what lies around us tends toward fearfulness. We live in a culture where everybody is using fear to get us to act, no matter what it is about, it seems. We live in the what-ifs of life. Of life, We watch the ups and downs of the stock market, and we hear about this and that, and we observe wars and uprisings in other countries. Good night, we can't even go to Walmart without being concerned that some disgruntled employee is going to shoot us, right? It's everywhere around us we face fear. So what do we do? How do we experience great joy instead of great fear at Christmas time. Because, I mean, it's the time, right? And now, now we add to the perhaps uh, concerns we have of our finances the fact that we want to buy things for those we love. And now, how are we going to afford to do this? And I can't do that. And you know, all, of the, all of the hype that goes with it. I want to begin this morning, and we're going to be, as I said in John uh, chapter 15, I want to begin in the middle of this passage because actually most of the passage doesn't talk about joy, but right in the middle we're told by Jesus why he's telling them all the things that he's saying in John chapter 15. So I'm going to jump right in the middle at verse 11. These things I have spoken to you that, in order that, with the purpose that, my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. That's why Jesus is telling them all the things we're going to talk about this morning. 
I want to say Jesus offers complete joy. And it comes by rightly responding to him and keeping our focus on him. But Jesus offers complete joy. So let's talk a little about what joy is. Now, I did this briefly a few weeks ago, uh, but let me rehearse just a bit. Joy is not dependent on our circumstances. It's based on truth, and it's based on resting in God's promise. Happiness is based on happenings. Happiness is based on what has happened to me. Joy is deeper. I, I learned something just recently that I hadn't really thought much about. Here's a, a quote I read from a writer. It is a mystery and a challenge to our earthbound way of thinking that the nearer Jesus came to his cross, the more joy became part of his vocabulary. How strange this sounds to affluent, comfort-seeking Americans who confuse joy and happiness. Just a week or two ago, a young couple in our church had a funeral for their infant daughter. They, uh, the way they describe it, they stopped to Coastal to drop off their son stopped at Chick-fil-A on the way. They knew that she was in labor. They told everybody that was there, we're in labor, we're going to get our baby girl. Within two hours, they heard the dreadful words from the doctor, there's no heartbeat. And their infant baby had died in the childbirth process. The funeral was, as you can imagine, incredible. But one of the things that struck me most deeply was there were several songs of worship that the team was to sing, and we would perhaps sing along. And as soon as the worship team started playing, the dad stood to his feet and, in effect, led the rest of that congregation. No one invited us to stand, but we weren't going to sit while he was standing because they chose to worship God in the most horrendous circumstance of their life to date. As they sang through the songs, a little later we noticed his, his wife's hands raised in worship to God. They had just lost their baby. They came to the stage and talked to us about little Blair and all the hopes and dreams that would never be fulfilled in her. One of our pastors described all the things that wouldn't happen, that would stand to erase their joy. But one of the things he said was, imagine the day when they get to heaven and their daughter walks up to them and she says, hi, Daddy. I, was, I lost it, of course. <laughs> it was an incredible memorial service of a life never lived. And they had joy. It was incredible to watch. They knew that, that God was present and was fulfilling his purpose in their life. And they were resting in that promise. 
that gave them joy. So how do I access that? How do I access that kind of joy? I, I could tell you this part and, and probably go home because this is really the key, but I want to share with you the gospel again. I know we talk about it all the time, but it's so desperately important because joy is found in the person of Jesus. God is present with you in the person of Jesus. When, when the Holy Spirit takes up residence in your life, and so we have the opportunity to turn from our sin, which all of us have, to believe in the gospel, which is quite simple and, and is illustrated at Christmas for us, right? Jesus, God the Son, came to earth, born as that little baby. That song earlier talked about the one who made the stars was laying there in that cradle. He came as a human being, setting aside his right to stay exactly like he was and took on flesh and became one of us. And he lived a perfect life. And then he died. A few decades into his life, after he began his ministry, the religious leaders said, no, we want none of this. And they killed him. They called for his crucifixion. And he died and he was buried in a tomb. And he, on the third day, literally came back to life again. So the gospel is, I turn from my sin, I believe in that account, the gospel about Jesus, and I receive Christ to as many as received him. To them he gave, he gave authority to become children of God. So I have the opportunity, excuse me, I have the opportunity to become rightly related to God. That's the source of my joy. Jesus offers complete joy. Joy is an unexpected gift growing out of an intimate relationship with the one we love and serve. So secondly, let's talk about where joy comes from then as it relates to the rest of this passage of Scripture. Going back to verse 9, we're going to see joy comes from resting in God's love. <clears throat> verse 9, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. The Father loves the Son. They are one. There is no hindrance whatever of fellowship between the two of them, and it has been that way forever. Throughout all of eternity, nothing has ever been otherwise. And Jesus, of course, is eminently worthy of that love because he's perfect in all of his ways. But the Son also loves the disciples. That's the fascinating part, right? As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. As he has loved me, so have I. Oh, a little extra. Ooh, man, I can preach even longer now. I like it. In the same way that the Father loved the Son, the Son loves the disciples, including we who are followers of Jesus, in spite of what fact? Jesus was eminently worthy of the Father's love. We are so intrinsically un worthy. 
And yet, Jesus loves his disciples. So he says, continue, abide in my love. Rest there. Take up residence there. Make sure that you are investing your time resting in the love of God. It's really hard to do when it's busy. And I know this time of year gets really busy and sometimes the joy escapes us because we've still got that one more meeting or one more party or one more event or one more deadline at work that we have to take care of. Carve out some time to rest in the love of God. Joy comes from resting in the Father's love. Number three, joy comes from abiding in Christ. The early part of these verses of this chapter says this, I'm the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. You are already clean. We've talked about salvation. We've talked about the gospel. We've talked about believing in in Jesus, receiving Christ, believing in the gospel. Already you're clean, he says. So he's talking to those who are his followers. Now abide in me because it'll make you more fruitful. It'll make you more useful to the kingdom. It'll make you more effective and successful because you don't have the capacity to bear fruit alone. Now that's not news to any of us, right? That's not a surprise to any of us that we can't do this ourselves. We have plenty of experience at realizing, oh, I just don't know if I can do this. We abide in Christ so that we can bear fruit. When we bank on our own gifts and talents, eventually that wears thin. But when we rest in the, the ability of Jesus to cause us to bear fruit, what a difference. So joy comes from abiding in Christ. We depend on him and we obey Christ. Verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I've kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. Following the plan and purpose of God is always for our benefit. It's not for our limitations. I've talked to people. I had a conversation with one person a few years ago that really struck me who just said it feels like the Christian life is all about putting limitations on what I can do. I said, you have totally missed God's intention. The limitations that God gives to me are for my benefit. They're for my good. If if I think it's all about putting limits, I have a shallow view of what brings joy. Jesus intended that the disciples' lives should be spontaneous and joyful, not burdensome and boring. 
obedience and carrying out his purpose would be a, a guarantee of success, right? When I carry out what God intends for me to do by his power and through his spirit, I'm guaranteed that he will get glory and there will be fruit. This does not teach or even imply that if I don't do the commands of Christ, he won't love me anymore. Rather, it indicates that for me, following his commands is one of the ways that I continue to enjoy the reality of his love in my life. There's no break at all. And then lastly, joy comes from serving in community. Verse 12, after again, after Jesus had said, these things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full, he says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. So the Father loved Jesus, Jesus loved his disciples, and we are to love one another as Jesus has loved us, which is as God loved him. Sacrificial, God-like love, verse 13, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Sacrificial, God-like love. And that has to be done in community. You can't love one another by yourself, right? That's why we make such a thing out of community at Coastal. It's not because we want to give you more things to do. It's because we work out this command to love one another in community with other believers. It's vitally important. Serve one another. It necessitates an attitude of humility to the point of sacrificing our lives. Now, most of us don't know much about that. Probably, perhaps the, the closest group in, uh, that is listening to me right now that would understand that are people who have served in the military. You know what it's like to stand by a, uh, a comrade in arms and be willing to lay your life down for them. There's something unique about that closeness, that sense of family and kinship. We grow by caring for and nurturing each other. You're my friends. If you do what I command you, no longer do I call you servants. Verse 15 says, For the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends. For all that I've heard from my father, I have made known to you. Jesus calls us friends. Friendship. We love each other. We serve one another. We enjoy friendship. It's not just casual acquaintance. It's a partnership of mutual esteem. <clears throat> the friend shares knowledge even of his superior's purpose. And he voluntarily adopts it as his own. So there's joy in those things, right? I'm writing to you these things, Jesus said, so that you will have joy. So to take things home this morning, I want to offer you these three things. The first is this, find your joy in Christ. Find your joy 
in Christ. If you've never trusted in Jesus, if you are watching us by video, uh, you are watching us right now or seeing this a little bit later, and you've never yet trusted in Jesus, man, I hope you will make contact to us through the website. Let us know of your interest in talking about a relationship with Jesus. Take the Connect card. It's a great tool. As we often say, there's a spot on there almost every week that says, I'm interested in accepting a relationship with Jesus. One of us will follow up with you. We'll talk to you about that. It would be our great joy to see that happen this Christmas season. Find your joy in Christ through the gospel. Secondly, take some time to rest in Christ this season. I know that's really hard. You're going to have to be super disciplined about it. You're going to have to just go away, right? At least to another room. Probably you're not going to get a chance to go away by yourself anywhere, but <laughs> take some time to rest in Christ. Get out the Christmas story and read it through. Read through Philippians chapter 2 and think again about what Jesus did when he came to earth. It's so incredibly important. Take some time to rest. And then find someone that you could serve sacrificially this week. Something that you could do for someone else that will demonstrate the kind of sacrificial love that Jesus showed for us. I don't know what that will be. Maybe it'll be your spouse. Maybe it'll be one of your kids or maybe your parents or a neighbor, or whatever it is, find somebody this week that you can take a meal to because they're struggling, or you can send a card and, and let them know what you're, you've been praying about with relation to them this week, or, or whatever it is, right? Find some way to sacrificially serve someone this week. It'll help you think through what Jesus did. I'm so grateful for what God has accomplished for us through Christ. And it, it's, uh, it's a fascinating thing to me that uh, as that little book on emotions talks about, there are all of these things that we want to face and others that we are facing and we wish we wouldn't. But we've got to regain our focus. And so that's what Advent is about. We talked about hope the hope of the coming Christ and the hope of the return of Christ. We've talked about peace, having peace with God, the peace of God, and enjoying the presence of God, the God of peace, and now joy. Joy doesn't mean I'm always smiling, but it means there's always a sense of contentment in here, knowing God is present and he is fulfilling his purpose in my life. Sometimes that's not easy, but it always gives joy. Man, if you're here and you maybe want somebody to talk with, you want to pray with somebody, there are always folks down here at the front. They would be happy just to spend a minute, sit down on the front pew and pray with you and uh, encourage you in any way that they can. Please take advantage of that. It would be a great opportunity. If that happens to be that you don't yet know Jesus, you've never trusted in him as your savior, man, we would be absolutely thrilled to have the opportunity to take the scriptures and show you how you can know your sins are forgiven, you are rightly related to God, you have the hope of the believer, you're on your way to heaven. Uh, come on down, come while we're singing, come at the end of the service, we'll be hanging out up here. Uh, we would love to do that. Thanks so much for being here. Man, I'm excited about what God's doing. 
glad that you're here to be part of it. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your kindness to us in Jesus. Thank you for sending him who uh, was God, remains God, but God come in the flesh in a perfect relationship of love with you, yet willing to sacrifice himself to come here so that we could have joy. Lord, I'm grateful that you are present and that you are fulfilling your purpose in our lives. I pray that we would rest in that, that we would abide in your love, that we would abide in Christ, that we would rest in, in the relationship that we enjoy with you and that we would, in a, in a communal sense amongst ourselves, love each other and serve each other. God, you have made that possible for us because of Jesus, and we're thankful for it, and we pray in his name.